Welcome to uh, the Bible interpretation class. This is uh, what is the Bible story uh, this morning, and we're going to go through to this morning the meta narrative. Um, the meta narrative. Um, my name is Bryson. Um, member here since August uh, of last year, so relatively new. So I haven't got a chance to meet uh, everybody here in the room, but I'm happy uh, to be here. Love to meet you if we could afterwards as well. Um, That's nice. I mean, I, um, yeah. You bet. Thank you. Sorry, I did not know that it was there for me. That was it. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Very helpful. Thank you. Can you hear me better now? Now you turned it off. Now I turned it off. Sure, I did. Which is fine. No, it's not. It's not fine. Now it's on. That's it. Yeah. 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 All right. Sweet. Awesome. No problem. I'm actually gonna do this over this right here. Um, and don't put it anywhere near your recording mic because that's kind of interfere. All right. I'll put it on the podium. That's so helpful. Thank you. Yep. So many rules. That's good. Maybe that, maybe that helps. Okay. Um, hi. Uh, so my wife and I, Lexi, uh, we've been here since August. Like I said, we've got three kiddos. Um, life is busy and full. Uh, many of you can, can uh, relate to that. Is it? you turned it off and back on it, okay, bump up the, the volume. Sure, you bet. How about Good, thank you. You bet, of course. All right. Um, I just briefly want to summarize real quick where we've been and where we're going to go. I think it might be helpful just to kind of recage real quick because it's been a little bit a while. We're about a little over halfway through the class. Uh, we'll pray and then we'll, we'll dive in uh, to the, the content this morning. So, yeah, we're just over halfway. If you're, if you're visiting with us or you're new to us, we, we're doing a 12-part series on how to read the Bible, biblical interpretation. Um, we want to be men and women of the Word. We want to be able to read the Word rightly. And so that's, that's the objective, is, is how do we, when we open our Bibles, how do we read God's Word faithfully, as, as faithfully as we possibly can, right? Uh, reading it corporately and reading it individually as well. We ascribe meaning to the word, and we are reading, uh, when we are reading the word, we are ascribing meaning to it, and when we are ascribing meaning to the word, um, we are doing the act of interpretation. And so it's, it's really important that as we do that, we, we do that as faithfully, as, as rightly as possible. So that's what this class is meant to, to achieve. Um, uh, by way of illustration here, um, if, if you have a son or daughter, uh, or if you don't, if you can remember going back home and you come home after a, a long day of school and you say, I, mom, dad, I have a ton of homework. I have a ton of homework. Uh, if your mom or dad there, you would not discipline that person for untruthful statements. At least I hope you wouldn't. He literally or she literally does not have a ton of homework, right? Not 2,000 pounds of homework, but she's, he or she is saying something there. What you just did in that brief second is really easy to you right now in your context. Just immediately jump to what that means based off of, of contextual statements. We want to do the hard work of making that leap to a, a book that's been written over a span of, of 1,500 years and was written a long, long time ago, right? And in different cultures and different places. So that takes a little bit of work. So that's what we're trying to do. So where have we been? Um, Dish kicked us off in January with uh, seeing God through the school of Christ, that all of Scripture is to see Christ and to learn Christ and to know Christ. Uh, next week, uh, Dave Sutton brought us through um, God's true word, and we went through a five-part kind of Sunday series on what are the... Ad, um, 
the characteristics of the word. So true, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary were the things that we, yeah, we looked at. And all those things are super, super uh, clear and helpful for us as we open the word together. And now after going through uh, those things, true, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary, we're not gonna turn to, okay, now what is it actually saying? So last week we dived into that. Zach brought you through um, seeing Jesus in every part of the Bible. Uh, Luke 24, is that actually true in the sense of I can see Christ through the entire narrative of scripture? And that was super helpful. And then today we're gonna do the actual kind of get into the word and work our way through it from left to right, from Genesis to Revelation, and try to put these parts and pieces uh, together. And then from here, we're then going to explore the entire Bible, essentially. So it's a, it's a feat in and of itself. In, in four different themes, promise fulfillment, the covenants, God's kingdom, and then God's presence. Just to see those four themes woven through, the thread woven through from Genesis to Revelation. And that's the intent. So that at the end of all of this, you can open your Bible and go, where am I in the story? And what does this mean for me as a, uh, a new covenant? And how do I apply that to, to my life? Uh, so. If you're somewhat new here as well, um, these recordings are made available on the website. So I just want to plug that as well. So you can go to our website, drbc.org, go to resources, uh, click on uh, Equipping Hour, and you'll have all those things there as well. All right. So that's a brief uh, just uh, synopsis of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, let me just take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we'll dive into the, the meta-narrative. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for the ability to gather uh, this morning for uh, the blessing and the grace of gathering uh, this morning. There are many who are here gathering uh, of, of DRBC and, and visitors, and we also are thinking of those who are not able to gather with us, Lord. We, um, we lift them up as well. We ask now specifically this morning, Father, that you would help us in um, yeah, just uh, hearing rightly and speaking rightly about uh, things that are yeah, incredibly important um, uh, for us. Um, so help us now as we um, think about interpreting your scripture, Lord. Uh, may your son Jesus be um, yeah, shown as is um, glorious and as necessary and as needed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. The meta-narrative. Has anybody heard this term before? Meta-narrative? Would anybody maybe just be willing to try to briefly describe it? Meta-narrative. What do we mean when we say meta-narrative? Yeah, the big story. Yep, absolutely. I've got a couple resources. Um, these are three resources uh, for you. Uh, well, they're not for you. These are my resources. But hey, uh, <laughs> these are resources that I will have up here if you would like to take a picture of them or whatever. These are three resources of different uh, length and volume, and they go to different levels. Uh, this would be the, the deepest one that goes, uh, written by uh, a faithful brother, Graham, uh, according to plan, and this goes relatively deep there. The second one would be God's Big Picture. This is probably, probably the most well-known one um, by Vaughn. Um, it just goes through, yeah, Genesis to Revelation. It helps you connect the dots, essentially. That's the intention of that. Fantastic book. It was really helpful for me. And then this one, I just love this one, written by uh, James Hamilton over at Southern Seminary. It's a fantastic job of showing the drama of Scripture in what we call the biblical theologies. Uh, so whenever you see biblical theology in this context, that's essentially how do I read Bible from beginning to end? And that's kind of, so the three resources of God's uh, big picture. All right. The main idea uh, on your handout there, um, would somebody please re um, read that out loud? If you would, just read the main idea out loud for me. Somebody take that.
That is where we're going with the meta-narrative, a grand overarching story from left to right. It answers very important questions, questions like, where did we come from? Where did all, all, where did all this come from? Where, how did we get here? What went wrong? What is the solution to our problem? Where is history going? Is there any hope? And how will this end? These are really important worldview questions. The meta-narrative is an attempt to get worldview into your heart and mind. And it's everywhere. Um, I've been there several times, but we went just this last week with some friends from, from church uh, to the, the Natural History Museum, Museum of Natural History. Anybody, anybody been there? DC? Fantastic museum, wonderful museum. I mean, multiple levels, it's, it's great. You walk through it and it is piping a story at you. It is telling you how to think about your existence. It's telling you where you came from and where all this is going, right? The world is full of meta-narratives attempting to say, assimilate this, adopt this as your story, right? As Christians, we would say we have <laughs> the corner market on the meta-narrative. This is the story that is meant to define, define you. The Bible is a big book. It consists of many topics, diverse literature, right? Spans centuries, and yet, despite being written by multiple authors, and addressing various subjects, it is one grand story whose central message is about what our triune creator, covenant God planned in eternity. Executed in time to glorify himself by the redemption of his people and making all things new in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So a definition, an, an overarching account or, or interpretation of events and circumstances that provides a pattern or structure for people's beliefs. That's essentially what a meta-narrative is. It's a narrative that arc that begins at creation. We talked about this a little bit last week. It rises over all that has been and all that is and all that will be. And it lands at the end of things. Okay, so it's a grand big picture. The 45,000 foot view, if you will. If you, I mean, probably bigger than that. Maybe a like 70,000 foot view. Um, we would take the overarching narrative and say, well, if it's a narrative, then by definition, it probably should have a plot line. Right, and it, and it does. It has plot movements. We, we discussed those plot movements last week with Zach. Those plot movements help us grasp the contours of the Bible and the message of the Bible and think about it in its unique worldview. Thinking through the Bible's plot line and the episodes of the plot line and the setting and the characters, the rise and the conflict and the resolution or the consummation in our case, helps us to answer the questions that we asked in the beginning. It's also known as redemptive history or history of salvation. So those are two terms you may hear being thrown out, redemptive history or redemptive story or history of salvation. That encompasses everything we're trying to talk about this morning, right? Everything from the beginning to the end of what God is doing in history to save people. Now, it's important to pause and say, it's not just a story because that means many different things today. It's a true story. It's not just a story of fairy tale like things, it is true. And we affirm that there's truth in it. And by being true, it operates as the framework in which we interpret everything. Let me say that again. Because the Bible is true, the narrative of the Bible, all the literature pieces put together, the story it tells, operates as the framework through which we interpret everything, including the word itself, okay? Another important implication, there is no plan B. 
Okay, story. Think about your stories that you like in, in, uh, um, yeah, TV stories or, or, or movies. The characters respond to things in time. A conflict happens, they respond to it, right? And the story twists and shifts and plot changes. Our story is written by a living God who made plan A and plan A only. There is no plan B. Plan A was never frustrated, edited, or adjusted. That's a really important note to, to just, yeah, just keep in mind as we read through, read through scripture. Plan A was in play before Genesis 3 happened. And just by comparison, you can uh, read Ephesians 2 for that. Um, another important point, um, it is the parts of the story that give existence to the whole, and it is the whole that gives meaning to the parts. It is the parts of the story that gives existence to the whole, and it is the whole that gives meaning to the parts. So without the parts, right, the whole can't, can't exist. That's, that's a good thing to, yeah, to say. And then, but the whole gives, gives meaning and, and understanding to the parts. And that makes sense if you just think about your favorite um, you know, Netflix or Amazon show, right? There's, there's meaning and flow from one to the other, but the whole doesn't exist unless you have a season of you know, eight or nine episodes. But the story is woven from the beginning through all, all nine episodes. We are just uh, starting uh, All Creatures Big and Small. Uh, it's one of, my, one of our favorites. I, I, would, yeah, I guess I would recommend it. Personally, I would recommend it. It's a good one. And it just weaves a wonderful story through all different seasons as it gets from one to the, to the, you know, season one, episode one, to the end of where we're at now in season, I think, three or whatever. All those things weave together, and it makes sense. Those episodes only make sense as a part of the entire, the entire whole, right? Piper says this, In any book or scene from a movie or conversation or psalm or gospel or epistle or chapter or verse... It is the parts that give existence to the whole and the whole that gives meaning to the parts. That's what we're trying to say as well. Also, by being a narrative, we have a requirement for certain things that we even see in other stories, right? We have setting, characters, conflict, climax, resolution, okay, with setting. The Bible's setting is on a cosmic grand scale. It is the entire universe, specifically the world or the earth. Characters, we have protagonists and antagonists. The protagonist of the Bible is? God. God. There we go. God is the protagonist. The antagonist of the Bible is? There we go. Sweet. Yeah. Um, you're not the main character. <laughs> you know, that's important. It's important recognition, right? We are, we are inundated and drink daily from, from the culture of you're an individual and you're what, the individuality of yourself matters. And that's there's some truth to that in Scripture, but specifically, the Bible's story brings that out of you and says, no, it's, it's not about you. It's, it's what God is doing, right? You're not the main character. In fact, you're hardly even supporting character. You're a supporting character, but you're, you have a, a role to play in here, but ours comes, comes much later, right? There's um, conflict. We can, we can over, I guess we can like overlook this piece. There is a cosmic conflict happening between good and evil between God and Satan and we always want to to affirm that God has won and Christ is winning and Christ will win 
but Satan is attempting to usurp that. Satan is attempting to, to try to, well, in the beginning, try to be God and also destroy creation, right? Um, one last caveat before we dive into to the word itself. Uh, if you've been, um, read any of these kind of books or you've, yeah, you've, you've been a, kind of part of these conversations about meta-narrative, I think you'll have, have seen that there's, there's sometimes overcorrections in our culture, right? And in the last decade and a half or so, there's been a massive pendulum swing and correction towards, which is good, correction towards let's talk about the big story. There can be a detriment to that, though. What do you guys think the detriment is? What have you heard? What have you seen? What's the detriment to overemphasis of the story? Yeah. Good, yeah. Allegorizing the details along the way, seeing by that seeing like everything as an allegory to what Christ has fulfilled, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, good, okay, good. What else, Well, um, Another aspect I think is sometimes just a discomfort with talking about more systematic theology things, that you know, we want everything to be sort of presented to us, biblical theology, which is great. Yeah. Um, they're not opposed to each other. Right. But um, it also doesn't mean there's a problem with talking about, for instance, the the, the nature of, of God or the attributes of God, which is, you know, for instance, for those who are in the Sunday school, yeah. the fall, a recurring subject of conversation that yeah. we're talking about something like omniscience. And maybe the word, you're not going to find it in the Bible, but it is an accurate description. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Another, another way you, so yeah, so systematic theology has a place and all these theologies have a place for us and, and edify us in different ways. It's not wrong to say, what does the Bible say about X? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about um, the new covenant? And, and, and draw those themes out and, and systematize all those things so you understand what God is saying from the beginning to end. Some theologians would say, and I think I would, I would, I would um, agree with them, that that systematic theology is, it supports the narrative, the biblical theology. So God has given us the whole, so let's know the whole, and then as we continue to know the whole, we can then systematize everything, which is what Lyle is saying. That's good. There's more you can say on that, obviously. Um, one other way that I think this is to the detriment is to overemphasize reading the story and de-emphasize knowing its small parts and pieces and diving into to the small parts and pieces, okay? Um, so we must remember that not only do the specific parts and pieces need to be seen in relation to the larger narrative, but we should not lose sight of the fact that the story informs and reveals the particulars. The story informs and reveals the particulars of what God says and does. Um, Another quote here, most of us simply cannot hold the whole, the whole Bible, the whole book, or even a whole chapter in our minds fully enough or steadily enough to feel our joy rising from its fullness. We can, we can try to do that, right? And we should try to do that, but it's hard for us to hold all of that together, right? We read it, we gaze on the grand landscape, and we should gaze on the grand landscape of the Bible, but it is the particular promise, 
this particular act of God, this particular warning, this particular turn of providence that penetrates most deeply and awakens faith and joy and hope. In other words, the framework of the Bible exists to help you conceptualize it, to, to, grant, to, to gaze at it and worship God. But the specifics and the pieces and parts added together help us and awaken faith and awaken joy and awaken hope. In other words, a beatitude, a line from Romans 12, a promise in Psalm 23, a warning in Hebrews 3, a miracle in Mark 1. These are all the places where our hearts are broken with contrition or leap with joy. So let's not lose the diving deep into the parts for sake of, of the large story, okay? So very important caveat before we, yeah, before we dive in on, uh, on that. Okay, any, any questions, comments, or insights on, on what we've talked about thus far? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I think for, so, great question. One, I'll give you two examples. One example is uh, the Big Storybook Bible. Um, in an attempt to, to, to give the full story, for example, of the Bible in a concise way for children to understand. Uh, in in uh, Joshua, the story of Jericho, it just completely leaves out Rahab. So, when you do this, so this is what the quote was, was the Piper quote, what he was trying to get at, is when you do this, you can't hold every detail up. It's just impossible. But every detail God does include. So we, whenever you draw a line from Genesis to Revelation, you have, you make, you're making choices. You're choosing to include something, and you're choosing to exclude something. And that's, that's, that's hard, right? And that's why we do it across themes, like covenants, or like promise fulfillment. So for me, so that's one example. Uh, for me particularly, if I, if in my, if in my daily quiet time, and this is going to, you know, uh, spoiler alert on the application at the end. In my daily quiet time, if all I do is read massive chunks of scripture, what's up, Eric? There, there are chairs up here too, or wherever you want to go. <laughs> Thank you, sir. There's a. Uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to call you out. I didn't mean to call I, I just saw you looking for a chair. I was trying to help you out. Less disturbed you. You were on a roll. Oh, you're good. You're talking about your quiet time. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to be kind. I'm sorry. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, so in my, in, my, in, my, in my quiet time or in your devotionals, if you just sit down and just read massive chunks and you don't actually meditate on small amounts, you're going to miss some of the really good things that we're talking about here. Psalm 23, the line of, of, of Romans 12. And those are the things that I think God uses to press into our hearts to change us in a lot of ways. The story can change us, right? But we can't neglect the, the parts as well, if that makes sense. Okay, good, good, great question. What else, any, uh, one more question or comment? Or, or if, if, as you have interacted with this topic before, a helpful insight before we dive into scripture? One more. Somebody give one, one more. Yeah. Kind of building on what Laura was saying, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now with some friends, and they're Christians, and when we're reading through the part, the part of all of the rules of the Ark of the Covenant, they're super quick to be like, I think that, the, like, if you look at the Bible as a whole, 
surely if they touched the earth, they didn't die. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's what it says. I'm like, yeah, but he also told Adam and Eve they were going to die, and they didn't visit. Like, and so I think that's part of the mistake of seeing the Bible as a whole. If you just have to weigh them both and be like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Like, we don't really know, but it's, yeah. it's a little bit dangerous when you're like, I don't know if this part is supporting the meta narrative or if this part is historical fact right. and is determining the nature You bring your, it's an excellent point. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible is over 1,300 pages long. It's a lot of Bible. Uh, it takes a long time to go through this to, in a way that you can start to understand and put pieces together. That's why we gather in, in one sense, right? Um, if, if, this is, if reading the Bible consistently is relatively new to you, one of the, the downsides could be that you start to bite off on things because you don't have the full counsel of Scripture informing your story line that you're drawing, right? Which is why some of these books are super helpful for us, as they just they just become a tour guide to us on how to think rightly through as we read. I say that though, and I, I, I'm carefully knowing also that you have the spirit of God in you and we have a, we're a community covenant together. So that's why we read it corporately, come together and let's study it together in Bible studies and like be able to have that conversation um, and help people interpret the Bible rightly. It's a fantastic point, I appreciate that. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through it now. Um, and it's unprecedented. We're just gonna try to go through the Bible from beginning to end, and we're going to go 45,000, I saw that, we're going to go 45,000 foot view, we're going to land and touch and go on a few texts, and I want to let the Bible speak for itself, okay, I have had enough words thus far this morning, so I want to let the Bible speak for itself, and what I want to do is, is read the Bible together, and try to connect Genesis 1-1 with Revelation 22, to some extent. Now we're not going to do it perfectly in, in 25 minutes here, but we're going to. I want to start jumpstart that process together a little bit and just make a few observations uh, as we go. Okay. So yeah, that's what we're we're going to do. All right. So we're going to look through this meta narrative as uh, through four movements, overarching movements. Um, I think you can guess what they already are: creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Okay. So those are four ways, four movements, and on how to think about. Uh, the Bible from beginning to end. We're going to start in Genesis 1-1. So here we go. If you have a Bible, let's open up your Bibles or tap on your, your Bible app. Hit Genesis. And let's start in Genesis 1-1. Uh, For the beginning, I'm going to read more uh, text. And as we move towards the end of the Bible, we're going to summarize and, and read a little bit less text, okay? Because I think what we're going to find is, is the beginning is so foundational to, to how the rest of it goes, right? So, Okay. Genesis 1-1. Uh, Here we go. Bible your seatbelts. In the beginning, God cre created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and then called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the other waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters and there that were under the expanse, and from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. 
And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for, for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let the, them be lights in the expanses of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great seeing creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the, on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work as, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he, that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. We'll stop there. Chapter two finishes with a, uh, a retelling of of the, of the creation of, of um, yeah, given the setting and the creation of, of, of Adam and Eve. When you hear this fullness from beginning to end, what stands out to you? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing else is needed. 
Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Nothing else is needed. God provides everything that is sufficient. Right, good. Yeah, Micah. I was going to say God's clearly the actor, the only and sole actor. Yeah, it's very clear if you see that. It was so, it is so, and it is so, right? Over and over and over again. God initiates, God is creator, God. He is king over his kingdom. He is in charge. He sets the course. He gives shapes to what is, and he gives the commands. It is about God and what God is doing, right? God initiates, and this is his world. We also see the setting upon which the drama of the rest of the Bible unfolds, right? The setting is what he created, the universe, specifically the earth, and the creatures that occupy the earth, specifically those he's made in his image. Did you see the distinction between the creatures, things that he created, and how the story changed the wording to then man and woman, right? Good. We also see God made, God gave, and God blessed. God is doing it. We like to think of ourselves as, as, yeah, very individual and independent. God is saying, it ain't so. (laughs) I made you, and you depend upon me. You rely on me, something outside of yourself. Like we said a little bit already, but maybe a little bit um, repeated, but uh, man is the pinnacle of creation, right? He's made in his image. Also, we see in his creation, God is known, God is served, God is worshipped, and God is present. God is known, served, worshipped, and present. The presence of God is a huge theme throughout the entire story, okay? All right, there's, there's creation. Any questions or comments on creation before we move on to the fall? Okay. Genesis 3 is where we'll pick up, so move over to Genesis 3. We'll read uh, a few verses of this. We're going to pick up in... Uh, Uh, For the sake of time, we're going to pick up uh, in verse 8. So the serpent uh, deceives the woman, and the woman eats and gives to the man, and Adam eats, right? The eyes, in verse 7, the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree. And I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And now the Lord says to the serpent, and then he, in verse 14, he's going to talk to the serpent. Verse 16, he's going to talk to the woman. And in verse 17, he's going to talk to Adam. So keep it on each three sections. The Lord God said to the serpent, in verse 14, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall be rule over you. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We'll stop there. This is characterized as the fall, right? The fall um, in Genesis 3. What do you notice is happening here in the story? Wow. We have the antagonist. The antagonist. Dum, dum, dum. He's on the scene now, right? He's on the scene and he is wreaking havoc, right? Good. What else? Yeah. That sin is going to be the central problem of the entire Bible. Yeah, the conflict. The sin is the central problem of the entire Bible. This point on, this is the problem, right? The rest of Scripture is written to show us how this is solved, how this is resolved, right? So everything starts starts here. Good. Um, it's disobedience to command is where all this begins. And this establishes this terrible problem. And it's really rebellion, right? It's rebellion against God's created order. He created it this way, and I'm rebelling against it. Rebel kind of takes a, a more of a positive note in our day, right? Not so on the, on the cosmic drama. Rebellion against God is sin. And this is what, yeah, this is what starts it, right? It's widespread and all-encompassing. Did you catch that with the cursed? Curse, 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 curse. Curse would be the ground. It's widespread and all-encompassing. Corruption affects all and everything. Everything that comes after this point on, we are all under the curse. The consequences are in two movements. You know them. Which movements are they? Vertical, yeah, good. And horizontal, beautiful. Thanks, Zach, appreciate it. Yeah, first and foremost, vertical. How is the consequence vertical? Our relationship with God. Yeah, our relationship with God is what? Broken. Broken. The presence of God is removed. We are, are what out of the garden? Kicked out. We're cast out of the garden, right? Done, get out. I cannot be with you in this current state. I have to do something to get my presence back with you, right? I have to act. And then it's also horizontal. We see Adam and Eve doing what to each other? Blame shifting. I mean, it's that deep this early. That's, that's how far it goes. The result uh, is hopeless without God's gracious intervention. That's what we're meant to see in Genesis 3. Now, we also see the beginnings of grace. They will still have offspring, but it will hurt. Adam still <laughs> subdues the earth but by the sweat of his brow, right? They will die, but life continues on. Praise be to God, right? Okay, any other thoughts or comments or helpful insights about Genesis 3 before we move into the next movement? Yeah? Just God's rule is not, it's not changed. He's still the decider. He's still in charge. He's still in command. That's right. We, he's the arbiter. We, he report, we all report to him. I mean, he comes in and says, what's happened to my perfect created order, right? And he's still in charge. So 
So the effects of sin has not affected him. Right? It's just his creation. It's a really important point. Thank you. Third movement, redemption. Longest movement, most summarized, hopefully, right? Uh, begins here even, right? And goes all the way through, right? To Jesus and is continuing, obviously, uh, until the consummation. We're going to begin uh, by noting Genesis 1.15, right? So Genesis 1.15, maybe turn back. Oh, wait, did I say the wrong one? Genesis 3.15 is what I meant to say. 3.15, not 1.15. Forgive me. Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Already in the beginning and in the curse, we see God providing a way saying, I will do something to re- resolve this. I will do something to reverse this, right? So the, 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 first, um, the, first, the first gospel is placed here for us to then say, how is this, this is the main question, how is this going to play out in the rest of the story? How is this going to happen? Who is going to fix this? How is this going to come to fruition? And the rest of the Old Testament says, we're going to try, but it's not going to work out very well. Okay, so it starts there. Redemption starts with this promise, which will be find its fulfillment in Christ. We have then Cain and Abel come on the scene, right? And now we have murder and strife, and it goes downhill from there. Cain kills Abel and tries to hide. The thoughts and intentions of the heart are all evil all the time. And then we get to Adam's all descendants all the way to Noah. And then Noah comes on the scene, and he of all the earth is found to be to be righteous, to to walk with the Lord, right? And so God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to restart. I'm going to start over with you, Noah. And he creates a covenant with Noah, a Noahic covenant. And the flood comes, and he saves eight people by drowning out the rest, rest of the world in Genesis 6, 7, uh, and 8. Right? The flood subsides then, and now we have descendants. We trace that line. We're still trying to find the answer to where, what is this seed, this offspring that's going to fix all these things. We have the covenant with Noah in chapter 8, the descendants from Noah in chapter 10, and then we restart and we find out that it hasn't changed. Sin is still present. It has survived the flood, right, with the eight people, specifically with Noah when the covenant was made. And now we have chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. All people were in one place, and they said, again, we're going to rebel against God. Let's build a tower because we want to be greater. We want to have a great name. It's all about my name, right, not about God's name. And God comes down and says, nuh uh. And so he spreads them out, right? And then from all of those, we get to Genesis 12, right? So turn to Genesis 12. And from there, God chooses one person to say, I'm with you. I'm going to, um, I'm going to start this work all the way to Christ. And he calls out Abram. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred. And your father's house, the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse, and then all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went, and he obeyed. And right away we see, oh, somebody's obeying the Lord. Wow, that's that's a concept, right? So Abram goes, and he's obeyed. It's the first place where we have, besides Noah being righteous, the idea of righteous accredited or accounted to to Abram, right? So we follow the, the theme of Abram, and the Lord makes a covenant with Abram, right? He says, through him, through you, I'm going to, to bless the whole, the whole world in Genesis 15. So Genesis 15, he says, fear not, in verse 1, I will be your shield, and, I'll, and your reward shall be very great. 
And he says, from you, you will have a nation. And Abram says, you have given me no offspring, right? But then he says, look to the heavens and the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. And those, those, uh, so, the, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. And God creates the covenant with Abraham. Changes his name later, but uh, Abram. And then we move, the story continues on. The drama continues on. We have a covenant of circumcision in chapter uh, 17. We um, have the story of Lot in chapter 19. We have move on to chapter 21. And we have finally the son coming on the scene, Isaac, right? Isaac is, is the son coming on the scene uh, as, as the one whom the seed's going to be traced. And immediately God says, I'm going to test you and I'm going to ask you to sacrifice Isaac, right? In chapter 22. So Abraham obeys and goes to sacrifice Isaac. The Lord withstands his hand uh, with the knife and provides instead the ram. We have the substitutionary ram in place of his son. So we already see that theme starting to build. And then we have Isaac and Rebekah in uh, chapter 24, right? And then in chapter 26, we have God's promise to Isaac, right? Um, God makes a covenant and blesses Isaac. And then Isaac blesses Jacob, his son. And from Jacob, we have the 12 sons, right? And one of them is Joseph. And Joseph gets called off to, 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 to Egypt, right? So the Genesis closes with Joseph in Egypt. And then we move into, into Exodus. So from here on out, what we see is the storyline continuing as God wants to make his presence, um, manifest his presence with people in in spite of the sin of his people. And so he does so in various ways with different covenants and progressive as we go. So we have then Joseph. And from Joseph in Exodus, we then move into Moses, who brings out the Exodus. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant. And we move into uh, Joshua and Judges. And so we finally are going to be in what, Ab- what God promised to Abraham, right? The land, the seed, and the blessing. Um, and so Joshua brings them into the land and everything is perfect and hunky-dory, right? Nope, right? Their covenant is reestablished in Joshua 24. Okay, Joshua 24, the covenant's reestablished. And he asks, choose to whom you shall serve, right? And we see this is what we're supposed to do. And we're finally here. Let's obey the Lord. And we have sin again. And we disobey. And then it's a downward spiral, right? What's the next book after Joshua? Judges. What's the theme of Judges? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there was no king in Israel, right? Downward spiral. The nation continues to degrade. We have obviously the kings come on board. We're not going to skip over Saul and and David, but David's obviously a very important figure for for the covenant. Um, The kingdoms last for. Yeah, a specific amount of time. Solomon becoming the prominent figure and the place in which Israel's um, reign or Israel's um, blessing is, is the most experienced. This is it. We've established ourselves under King Solomon. But we find that even the kings are going to lead us astray. And so then the kingdom splits, right? We have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We have Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Now we are fighting each other because we haven't solved the sin problem and we can't keep the Mosaic law, right? And so then God says, I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do in Deuteronomy 28. If you follow me, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, I'm going to curse you. And I'm going to send you out into exile. And so he comes in and he takes out Israel first. And then after that, um, the southern kingdom, Judah, is is moved into exile by by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Right? 
And then we have an interesting books, Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay. We're going to turn, I want you to turn to Ezekiel 36 while we talk about Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, the prophet in the middle. God sends the prophets to warn Israel to turn from their ways, lest the judgment of, of God come. And Ezra and Nehemiah are important books because we start to see, oh God, the, the light is breaking through, right? We're in exile. The full 70 years have passed. It's time to go back. God works in the heart of Cyrus, right? And he lets them go. And they go back, and they go back to do what, specifically? Rebuild the temple. temple. And Nehemiah, what? I heard it. The walls. Because in order to have a nation, you got to have a city. you got to have walls in order to have a city and a place, a city-state. And you got to have a temple in order for God's presence to be there. And so they go back, and they go, we're going to follow you, Lord. We're going to obey you. We're going to do it this time. It's going to work, right? (laughs) It's going to work. And they do everything they can to reestablish that. And they're waiting for the line, the king, the Messiah, the Genesis 3.15 to come through them. And they know it's going to be a king. It doesn't come for quite a long time. And one of the prophecies in Ezekiel uh, 36 is the prophecy of the, uh, the new covenant. That's in 36, right? Where is that? Why am I missing it? There it is. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 22. Was it? Somebody say something else? No. Okay. 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And all, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean, uh, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. We get to the end of all of this. I know, right? We get to the end of all of this. It's, it's failed upon failure, upon failure, upon failure. And finally, we're at the end of it. And, and God says, okay, I'm going to work now. I'm going to do it. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do something completely new. I'm going to change it. I'm going to put, I'm going to make you clean. And from what I do with the new heart and the new spirit, I will cause you to do what? Obey. A heart posture of obedience. And so we have the, the foundations of the new covenant coming in play here. The foreseeing of what Christ is going to do uh, in Pentecost after that, right? For the sake of time, after that, we have 400 years, right, of silence. And then finally, the climax of the story comes. Jesus walks on the, the, the earth and he obeys where Israel could not obey. And he 
does what, what uh, Moses couldn't do and what Abraham couldn't do and what David couldn't do and what Israel couldn't do and what Adam couldn't do eventually. That's the story essentially of the Gospels if it's summed up. And he goes to the cross and takes the punishment that all the previous and former and in future deserve. And because of that substitutionary atonement, we now have the new covenant established when the way that God or the way that Jesus established it through the, the new covenant with the cup and the bread. And then in Acts, we have the new church being established and concentric circles of this good news going out to fulfill the great commandment of Matthew 28. These churches are established to bring this good news of it's now solved. We have the solution. Christ is here with repent and believe. And the whole New Testament points to that in the church. Now turn to the end of your Bibles, Revelation 21. Revelation of John. What will happen in the end when we, when we have the consummation? In other words, we bring the bride and the groom together. The bridegroom and the groom come together. Finally, the church depicted in Christ. We finally have union the way it um, was intended to be, but even better than the first, right? That's why consummation and recreation is better than restoration in a lot of ways, as far as terminology goes. Verse 21, read this real quick and then we'll close in prayer. 21 verse 1, then John, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And then he told him to write it down, told him a little bit more things that are really important, but we don't have time. Did you notice the language picked up in Revelation 21 with Ezekiel 36, with Genesis 1? You see that, that, that thread being woven through the entire story? It's really difficult in 55 minutes to give you all that. I'm sorry, guys. Thank you for your patience and all that. But what I wanted to do was to do what John Piper said we couldn't do, which was gaze at it all, right? And look at it a little bit, because when we look at it all, a couple applications come in place. Number one, we worship him. Number one, we worship God. We just go, you, this is amazing. Look what you did. Look how you did it. You fixed it. You are great. You are big. <laughs> this is amazing. And we find our place in the story, right? Number two, it helps us to read the individual parts, and we find our place in the story. So as you open your Bibles... I would commend to you that we, we try to place where we are in that story and interpret what you're reading in light of the whole story as much as possible. Okay, that's number two. Number three, binge read. Binge read. Read large amounts of scripture. Work it into your, into your devotion time. 
Be balanced in it. I'm not saying just do that, right? But I'm also saying that if you don't hear large amounts of Scripture over you or read large amounts of Scripture, I would say you're missing something here. You're missing some parts of the, of the whole story. I know it's hard, but it is what it is. One mentor of mine that I was greatly helped by said, uh, I, I don't have time to, as much anymore to sit down and read, 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 whole lot of scripture. So what he does is he gets the, he has the ESV Bible app and he just has it on play as he gets up in the morning and reading, or sorry, uh, getting ready in the morning, right? And he just washes himself with scripture, large amounts of it, as he drives to work, as he goes home from work, before he goes to bed. And it could be 16 chapters or 24 chapters he goes through in one day, just because it's coming in, it's coming in, and it's coming in. <coughs> when you do it at that pace, at a higher level, you start to pick out some of these themes. You can take a step back and go, oh, look at what you did here, God, from here to here, and to here, and here, and the end is the application number one. You, you are great, God, okay? So those are the three. Any, any re responses, reflections, insights, or, or pushback on anything I said this morning that you want to talk about? I'll also be up here afterwards. Any responses? Do we all love this story as much as I do? Okay, great. So, okay. All right. I see no responses. Okay, therefore, I will pray. All right. Father, thank you for the story. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you have just creatively and wonderfully woven all these things together. These threads that we're going to pull out for the next couple of weeks. Lord, help us as we open our Bibles and read. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts ready to listen and obey and respond to the word of God as it comes in. Lord, help us to prioritize time of reading your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.